Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 8, Episode 9, A Nation Somewhat United. In 1374, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu turned 16 and was ready to begin his tenure as shogun. Hosokawa Yoriyuki, his trusted regent and deputy, probably hoped that Yoshimitsu would work toward continuing the policies of stability, discipline, and fiscal responsibility which Yoriyuki himself had initiated and enforced. While Yoshimitsu's reign would be fondly remembered by future generations of Ashikaga shoguns, his ostentatious aesthetic tastes and infamous love of luxury meant that the Bakufu's treasury would be severely stretched. As for his performance in other matters of governance, I'll let you be the judge. But before we delve too greedily and too deeply into the career of Yoshimitsu, we need to backtrack slightly and discuss the situation that existed in Kyushu toward the end of Yoshiakira's life and during the tenure of Hosokawa Yoriyuki. Prince Kaninaga was still the leading southern court partisan on the Western Isle and had been forging a coalition of anti-Bakufu clans on the island since 1361. You may recall that Takauji wanted to mount an expedition to Kyushu in order to crush this worrying alliance, but died before seeing the plan come to fruition. While Yoshiakira concerned himself first with a campaign against the southern court in Kansai, he also understood that allowing loyalist power to continue growing unchecked on the western island was not an option. By 1365, Things were going so well for Prince Kanenaga in Kyushu that he began to consider the possibility of leading an army to invade Kansai and take Heian-kyo. Yoshiakira had, a few years before his death, ordered a punitive force to ride against the southern court prince, but its general reached Nagato province on the western edge of Chugoku and decided that attempting to cross the Shimonoseki Strait would be too dangerous. Instead, he marched his army back to the capital and informed the shogun that Prince Kanenaga was planning to bring a great army to the southern court. While the leadership of Hosokawa Yoriyuki ensured stability and economic growth in the years of Yoshimitsu's minority, Yoshiakira's death presented a potential moment of crisis for the Bakufu. Alarmed at the possibility of facing a fresh resurgence of the loyalists in Kansai, the Bakufu assembled a great defensive army to prepare for a potential invasion from the west. When Prince Kanenaga received word of these preparations, he paused his planned incursion and, as a result, many vassals who hoped to profit from that invasion were drawn away to independent clans like Shimazu, Shoni, and Otomo. The Bakufu, acting on advice given by Hosokawa Yoriyuki, appointed a new Kyushu Tandai, an office of regional leadership in both military and civil matters. The lucky appointee was Imagawa Sadayo, a longtime Bakufu partisan who had been fighting on behalf of the shogunate for most of his adult life. He had been living as a monk and changed his name to Ryoshun when the message arrived that he was needed in the West. I will refer to him as Imagawa Ryoshun for the duration in the interest of simplicity. 
He departed the capital in 1370 and immediately began displaying an aptitude for the diplomatic side of his office. He worked out a non-aggression pact with the Ouchi clan of Suo province in Chugoku, ensuring that his army would not end up isolated between two hostile forces when they reached Nagato province, and he likewise appointed the Hosokawa clan to keep the peace in Shikoku. With his flanks secured, Ryoshun began sending strike forces to the island to establish footholds in eastern Kyushu, which could later be used to stage larger incoming armies. The Kikuchi offered a particularly determined resistance, but could not drive the Bakufu partisans away. By the close of September 1372, the Bakufu was in control of most of northern Kyushu, and Prince Kanenaga was forced to flee with a Kikuchi-led force to encamp near the Chikugo River. Imagawa Ryoshun, meanwhile, had already begun sending correspondence to the Shoni, Shimazu, and Otomo in southern Kyushu, encouraging them to join him in an attack on the Loyalists. The Loyalists probably expected the Bakufu to offer a pitched battle, and when no such offer came, they understood that Ryoshun was wisely biding his time, luring the southern clans until he could be certain of an overwhelming victory. In early 1373, the Kikuchi launched an extremely aggressive offensive against the shogunate army, starting with a night attack which was bitterly resisted and nearly successful. Eventually, the loyalists were forced to withdraw, but for a time, Ryoshun feared that he may have overplayed his hand. Fortune seems to have favored the Bakufu, however, as Kikuchi Takemitsu, the military leader of the loyalists, died in late 1373. Starting early in the next year, Imagawa Ryoshun began what he believed would be the final offensive against the Kyushu loyalists. They had taken to occupying Korasan, a small but defensible mountain dotted with shrines. The Kikuchi defended as best they could, but soon they were isolated on that mountain, and more or less surrounded by rival clans who were now allied to the Bakufu through the Kyushu Tandai. In 1375, everything was in place for the Loyalist resistance on Kyushu to finally be extinguished. To celebrate the impending victory, Ryoshun invited leaders from the Shimazu, Otomo, and Shoni clans to a drinking party on the night of August 26th. Shoni Fuyusuke, the chieftain of the Shoni clan, resented having a Tandai appointed over Kyushu, and at first refused to attend. He was convinced, however, by a fellow chieftain, Shimazu Ujihisa, to put aside his resentment and enjoy the festivities. Shortly after Shoni Fuyusuke arrived at the celebration, he was hacked to death by swordsmen on the orders of Imagawa Ryoshun. The Tandai's justification for this extrajudicial killing was that he suspected Shoni Fuyusuke of treason, that he believed his resentment would lead him to betray them all. This action had an immediate effect on the three powerful clans of southern Kyushu, who departed soon after and returned to their homes in the south, preparing to lead their forces north to attack Ryoshun. As a result of this loss of trust, the war in Kyushu would continue for eight more years. 
The story of Imagawa Ryoshun's epic blunder in Kyushu is honestly baffling. He was so careful in his planning beforehand and seems to have possessed a strategic mind which far surpassed both his enemies and many of his allies as well. It seems ridiculous to imagine that a leader with his degree of foresight would fail to predict how flagrantly murdering one of your allies in front of the others would do anything other than alienate them. Perhaps he thought they would be intimidated, but in this he was sorely mistaken. One bright spot in Ryoshun's initial campaign was that Dazaifu was firmly back in Bakufu hands. From that point on, when the new rulers of China sent a ship to maintain diplomatic relations, it was the northern court who received their ambassadors. International recognition is always helpful for establishing legitimacy. Just before Ryoshun's blunder, in Heian-kyo, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu had come of age and was prepared to take control of the Bakufu as its new shogun in 1374. He seems to have been well pleased with Hosokawa Yoriyuki's time as regent, and he kept him in place as the Kyoto Kanrei in spite of some objections from other ranking members of the shogunate. While Yoriyuki's adherence to samurai discipline made for good governance, it also made him unpopular among his peers. In 1379, the pressure for Yoriyuki's resignation was too great for him to ignore, so he shaved his head and entered religion, stepping down from his role as Kyoto Kanrei. Taking his place, for the moment, was Shiba Yoshimasa, who had led the complaint campaign against Yoriyuki, which led to his resignation. The position of Kyoto Kanrei, however, would radically change once Yoriyuki was out of the office. Rather than an authoritative appointment with the ability to enforce law, it was now much more in keeping with what we tend to think of regarding a deputy. The Kanrei of the capital would enforce the shogun's will and offer advice when appropriate. The year before Yoriyuki's ousting from Kyoto Kanrei, Yoshimitsu had ordered the construction of a new palatial mansion which would serve both as the shogun's home and his seat of power. The Hana no Gosho, or Palace of Flowers, was a truly resplendent residence with several attached chambers serving various purposes and a tranquil garden in the back for moments of respite. Being that the grand mansion had been built on Muromachi Street in Heian-kyo, it was also referred to as Muromachi Dono, or the Muromachi Palace. And yes, finally, in episode 9, more than 50 years into this period, we come to the reason for its name. The Muromachi Palace would continue to serve as the shogun's luxurious residence well into the 1500s, though it would need to be rebuilt thanks to certain catastrophic events which we will discuss closer to the end of this season. Yoshimitsu's love of luxury was not limited to his dwelling place. Hosokawa Yoriyuki tried many times to instill within the young man a value for frugality and simplicity, but clearly his lectures mattered little to the young shogun. In the political arena, some of the clans who were at least outwardly loyal to the Bakufu were beginning to develop considerable power of their own. If left unchecked, they might attempt to use that power to supplant the shogunate with one of their own. 
Thus, it became necessary for Yoshimitsu to find a way to chip away at the clans who had amassed enough land and titles to practically form an independent nation. This problem presents a good example of how the Ashikaga Bakufu differed from its predecessor. While the Kamakura shogunate tended to dominate individual warrior clans by playing their rivalries against each other, the Muromachi Bakufu needed the support of powerful clans to shore up its legitimacy, and thus the clans themselves could, over time, consolidate a considerable amount of leverage. The need for the Bakufu to reward faithful clans during the Nanbokucho War had created this crisis, and while future shoguns would be helpless to resist the rising of independent regional powers, Yoshimitsu had no intention of allowing such crises to conflagrate during his time on the shogunal throne. Yoshimitsu especially exploited the growing rivalry between the Hosokawa and Shiba clans to encourage them to keep close eyes on one another, while he arranged for his own private army, called the Hoko Shu, to be enlarged and strengthened. Incidentally, the new Kyoto Kanrei Shiba Yoshimasa was the son of Shiba Takatsune, whose loss at Kuromaru Fortress we discussed in episode 6. Takatsune had later been named as Shugo of Echizen and Wakasa provinces, offices which his son inherited along with the power they represented. By the time of Yoriyuki's retirement in 1379, Imagawa Ryoshun had finally recovered from the losses he suffered when he had alienated the most powerful southern warrior clans. In 1383, Emperor Go Kameyama was installed as the Tenno of the southern court and, that same year, Prince Kanenaga died. As a result, the loyalist resistance on Kyushu utterly collapsed. The character of the southern court had changed remarkably by the time of Emperor Go Kamayama. The belligerent samurai who supported its claims to supremacy in those early days were long gone, and the faction itself had little to show for its efforts considering the nearly 50 years in which they had been fighting. Few of Emperor Go Kameyama's advisors possessed the hardline ideology of their predecessors, and many felt inclined to acknowledge a simple truth. The war was over, and they had lost. Although rumors began to circulate that the Yoshino court would be receptive to peace talks, Yoshimitsu had a much more pressing issue which demanded his attention first. In his quest to establish a supreme shogunate, the young shogun understood that he would need to break the power of the Yamana clan. The Yamana were a samurai clan who had supported Takauji since the beginning of the Nanbokucho War. As a result of their faithful service, and as a result of the Bakufu's gradual tendency to come out on top, their clan chief was named as Shugo over 11 provinces. You may recall that Japan in this period had only 66 provinces, which meant the Yamana clan controlled roughly one-sixth of the nation. While giving them authority and income over so much land was a suitable way to keep their allegiance during the tumultuous years of the Nambokucho War, Yoshimitsu wanted to make the office of shogun supreme. The kind of independent power which the Yamana clan enjoyed was now seen as a threat to that supremacy. To be clear, the Yamana clan had done nothing wrong. While they had given aid to Ashikaga Tadafuyu during his flight through Chugoku years before, they had long since submitted to the Bakufu under Yoshi Akira's reign. 
They seemed content to govern their domains in Chugoku and around the nation in the shogun's name without grumbling. Thus, it was necessary, in Yoshimitsu's mind, to provoke them into a fight which he could win. Luckily for the shogun, there was already a growing conflict within the clan which he could exploit. In the interest of not getting bogged down in intra-clan politics, I'll try to keep the summary of their internal issues brief. The clan chief, Yamana Moroyoshi, died in 1376, and because his sons were all far too young to inherit his office, the clan chose his younger brother, Yamana Tokiyoshi, to be his successor. This decision caused some grumbling in the family, and as Moroyoshi's sons grew up, they began to resent being passed over for the power and influence which they felt was their birthright. Tokiyoshi died in 1389, bequeathing the chieftainship to his own son, Tokihiro. Yoshimitsu decided in 1390 to try and take advantage of the family quarrel that was surely about to ensue regardless to weaken a potential rival to his power. He sent correspondence to one of the sons and a son-in-law of the late Moroyoshi, complaining that his brother, the late Tokiyoshi, had behaved disrespectfully toward the shogun, and that his heir, Tokihiro, had likewise been disrespectful. He ordered them to attack Tokihiro as punishment for sliding Yoshimitsu. They obliged, and Tokihiro and his allies were defeated. It is possible that Yoshimitsu hoped the intra-clan conflict would last longer and do more to weaken the Yamana's position. Clearly, more direct methods were needed to reduce this power imbalance. The defeated Tokihiro fled to Kiyomizudera, a scenic mountain temple in the highlands southeast of Keon-kyo, and sent correspondence to the shogun apologizing for his offense and begging for a pardon. Yamana Ujikiyo, the new clan chieftain, worried that Yoshimitsu might grant the pardon and endanger his newfound position. When the Bakufu stripped his son-in-law Yamana Mitsuyuki of the office of Shugo of Izumo, which lies in Chugoku, and banned him from Heian-kyo, alleging that he had seized imperial property and disobeyed an order to return it, Mitsuyuki fled to Ujikiyo in Izumi province, and the two began preparing for an uprising. This happened near the end of 1391. They gathered an army and struck for the capital. Izumi province is very near Yamashiro, so they did not have far to go. In February of 1392, battle commenced in and around Heian-kyo, with the Ouchi clan doing much of the fighting on the Bakufu's behalf. The battle was fierce, and some sources claim that the two armies were of equal number, but by the end of the day, the Yamana army had suffered heavy casualties and fled. Ujikiyo attempted to quit the field but was surrounded and killed. Mitsukuni managed to escape and attempted to disappear into obscurity by becoming a monk in northern Chugoku. A few years later, he was recognized and brought to the capital where he was executed. The Meitoku Uprising, named thusly because it occurred in the Meitoku era, presented a solution to Yoshimitsu's problem of the Yamana clan's considerable land holdings. When the war began, the Yamana were masters of 11 provinces, but afterward they would govern only three. Their previous holdings would be given to the samurai who had aided in their defeat, which allowed the Bakufu to become a dominant faction for the time being. 
with the war against the Yamana finished and all of the subsequent rewards doled out, it was time for the shogunate to deal with the southern court. The Bakufu once again opened the line of communication and found Emperor Go Kameyama extremely receptive to their proposals. The peace agreement appears very fair at first glance. Income from public lands would go to the Daikaku line, the so-called junior line of the northern court sovereigns, while income from the Chokodo network of shōens would go to the Jimyōin line of the southern court emperors. The alternating between junior and senior lines for each subsequent emperor would be restored in the future, as well as ten-year terms for each ten-no. Eager to put this matter to rest and also eager to return at last to the capital, Emperor Go Kameyama offered up the imperial regalia and accepted the shogunate's terms. Unfortunately for Emperor Go Kameyama, it soon became clear that the agreement was not worth the paper on which it was printed. It was one thing for the Bakufu to declare that the senior line received income from Chokodo estates, quite another for the emperor's agents to be able to collect that income or enforce taxation. Daikaku line Emperor Go Komatsu, who had served as Northern Court Tenno for ten years already, served another twenty, finally abdicating in 1412 after naming his own son as his successor, thus violating the alternating succession which had been agreed. I think George Sansom sums it up rather well by writing, The Southern Court lost everything but its dignity. While the end of the Nanbokucho War was not exactly a crushing cataclysmic event, the capitulation of the Southern Court was disastrous for several samurai clans. We will catch up with some of those clans in future episodes because they will be incredibly eager to try their luck against the Bakufu in the 1400s. Now that the imperial family was reunited, at least for the moment, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu was truly the man of the hour. However, 50 years of civil war had changed the political landscape across the nation in ways that would be difficult to revert. While the Kyoto Kanrei's powers had been reduced in the capital, the Kanto Kanrei's authority was conversely enhanced and increased. George Sansom compares the Kanto Kanrei's powers to those of a governor of a British dependency. In the previous episode, I mentioned that Ashikaga Motouji, the younger brother to Yoshi Akira, had been named Kanto Kanrei in the mid-1300s. Motouji became ill and died in 1367 and was replaced by his son Ujimitsu, who was nine years old at the time. It was the Uesugi clan who held the title of Shitsuji, or deputy, to the Kanto Kanrei, and they ably governed the east in Ujimitsu's place until he was old enough to do so himself. It was during Ujimitsu's time as Kanto Kanrei that the title itself morphed into something almost treasonous. Kanto Kubo. Kubo was a borrowed Chinese title which Takauji used for himself, and was considered the equivalent of shogun. The title was in use by at least the 1380s and eventually would cause endless headaches for the shoguns in the capital, who saw themselves not as the equals of the Kanto leader, but as their superiors. Can you guess which city of the East was granted the honor of hosting the Kanto Kubo and their administration? 
if you guessed Kamakura, you are correct. The title of Kanto Kanrei, since it meant the shogun's deputy in Kanto, replaced the title of Shitsuji in the east just as it had in central Japan. Thus, the Uesugi clan gained a fairly permanent hold on the hereditary title of Kanto Kanrei, which they used to expand their own power, but also, usually, to assist the Kanto Kubo. The east was generally still under the Bakufu's control during Yoshimitsu's reign. The west was another matter. After Imagawa Ryoshun managed to alienate the regional powers of that land, the Bakufu took a much more hands-off approach to the western island. In both Kyushu and Chugoku, the shogunate opted for a more cooperative method of appointment, consulting with the regional powers first before attempting to appoint any Shugo or Tandai-type governors. Kyushu especially seems to have been outside of the Bakufu's effective reach, at least in terms of governance and administration, and such matters were largely left to the usual influential local clans of Shimazu, Shoni, and Otomo. The new semi-unified Japan would look very different from its former self, and the Bakufu would have to change its approach as new problems and crises developed. Next time, we will continue following Yoshimitsu's latter-day reign as he constructs more lavish buildings, tries to keep hold of everything he has won, and reopens trade with the new leaders of China. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan.